Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely powerful. Glory to God. Anybody came this afternoon expected to receive? Glory to God. I heard someone say that the atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. Amen. And we pray that tonight the Lord will speak to you in a very specific and a very unique way. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Well, it's an honor to be here at Road to Damascus Church. Uh, my first time in L.A. And uh, it has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Pastor Ron and Chantel have been, I mean, just the most generous, most hospitable hosts, uh, man, that you could ever imagine. And, and again, it's an honor to call them, to call them friends. And there are just some people in life that you meet, that when you meet them, it almost seems like, uh, it's almost like Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, you remember what happened when, 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 when Mary came to Elizabeth? Yeah. Scripture says that the baby in her womb yeah. Yeah. jumped. Uh, there's something about covenant relationships yeah. that will, will, will elicit those kinds of responses. And without any exaggeration, man, it's an honor to say that that's the kind of relationship that we have with your pastors, Ron and Chantel. And it's an honor to celebrate five years of God's faithfulness with you. Amen. Five years of. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me, let me just say it this way. Uh, I I identified with everything that Pastor Ron shared, everything that his mom shared as she was sharing your story, your journey, uh, these last five years. This is what I've discovered as a pastor. Uh, 17 years in ministry, uh, seven years as a lead pastor, a senior pastor, is that we can impress people with our successes, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they will only identify with our struggles. You see, you see. And, and, and so, so, so this, this afternoon, I want to speak to you from that context, not as a pastor, not as a leader who's done everything right, but someone who has discovered the faithfulness of God, not only when life is at its best, but even when life is at its worst. Uh, but before I dive into the word, I, I'd like for my wife to come and greet uh, uh, this beautiful congregation. She is my partner in life. In ministry, my bride of 17 amazing years. Come on, look, check this out. I just got to wake up in the morning and look at my wife and re be reminded of how much God loves me. Come on, somebody. I'm married up. I got the better end of the deal. Come on. So my wife's going to greet you. Uh, she's my mocha princess. And uh, we met several years ago in Bible college in Tulsa. And uh, why don't you... Uh, bless the people with a wonderful greeting. Well, good afternoon again. I echo the sentiments of my husband. We are so excited to be here. When the choir was singing, I was thinking, ooh, they're going to make us move from Texas. <laughs> but we just, we've got two little sugars at home waiting yes, for us that are very jealous that we are in L.A. We have a 14-year-old daughter, Nia Kennedy, 
Uh, she's in high school, and we have a nine-year-old son, Levi Lafayette, who I homeschool yeah. by the grace and mercy of God. <laughs> but you know, as, as in after preschool, he said, "Mommy, I want you to homeschool me." I taught school for 12 years, and I thought at almost 50 years old, I was going to be having lunch with my girlfriends, and my house was going to be real clean because my kids are going to be at school. So I'm like, "Mm-mm, Mommy doesn't want to do that. You're going to go to school. Your teachers are going to love you. It's going to be great." And then we had a little incident in, in first grade and I decided I did not want his imagination nor the school system to shape the man of God he was called to be. Good, good. And so we are making the sacrifice and so I'm so glad I put on makeup and I got my hair done just for you because I am a homeschool mom. And I wear yoga pants and sweatshirts. And I drive him to robotics class and to chemistry and to physics and to all these other things, and I am just investing. You know, being in church, you invest in people, but I'm excited to see what God has called the Levi to be. And so we are excited. You can tell I didn't realize I missed them till in this moment. But anyway, we are so excited to be here. I thank my sister Gail for coming out. She lives in LA, and so she met us yesterday. And thank you for being a great big sister. But I just wanted to encourage you with this uh, just a short little word. It's kind of been with me for a little while, and I'm not going to preach, baby, but since you gave me the mic, hallelujah. And so, yeah, we, we're just a couple of years up the road, and we, I want to encourage you as far as the church, but collectively, because what you're doing in this service, it is like you are setting up a stone. You're setting up a monument, yeah. declaring, God, you've been so good. good. And when we set up those monuments, we would be ever so remiss to think that the enemy would stop his attacks. We would be kind of a little naive to think that, oh, we've made it this far and it is all good. And so I just wanted to share with you from 1 Samuel chapter 7, and I'm just going to read pieces. I'm not going to add to or take away, but I'm just going to read pieces just to kind of paint a picture of encouragement for you uh, as we celebrate this anniversary. It, I'm starting off in verse 8, but I'm going to skip on down around through 11 and 12. It says, um, So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines, which you don't even, you have Philistines, the hand of the enemy, whatever that enemy would be. And it says in verse 9, Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. That's what Pastor Ron does to you. He's crying out. He is that prophet, that go-between on behalf of the church, not just for the church collectively, but for your lives personally. It says, Then Samuel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. Verse 11, and the men of Israel went out to Mesbah and pursued the enemy and drove them back as far as they could go. Then Samuel took a stone. What you're doing right now is you're taking a stone with this service. Because you could have just had church this morning and everybody could have gone home and it would have been all good. But you're marking this monumental moment. Yes. It says, then he took a stone and set it between Mesbah and Shin and called it. Ebenezer, yeah. saying the Lord has helped us thus far. Come on. Come and on. so this milestone is great, a great celebration. And I don't want you to think, oh my goodness, I'm just here to support Pastor Ron and Chantel. You are really an answer to prayer right now. Yes, you are. You are really a part of something so much greater. You are really a part 
of history-making kingdom business in this moment. And so if you never thought, if you wonder, oh God, why did you make me? Oh God, why am I here? I want you to know that right now in this moment that you are doing the Lord's work and he is not sleeping on, just getting dressed and driving this far was so much more to God because we've gathered in his name. You're not just coming to an anniversary when people are just doing whatever, running rush out all in the earth. You decided to take out time to lift up the name of Jesus and support his man of God. So I'm going to take my seat. Honor you, my king. Thank you for this time, but please know Come on, baby. Say that, that again. I said, I honor you, my king. Just on, know that you are a blessing. And we're going to come back next year. And I expect this place to be packed out. Well, it's not even going to be in this place. It's going to be in another place. And I want it to be packed out. So I want you to tell your mama, tell your cousin, tell your brother and them that they need to get to the road of Damascus. And let's do God's work here in Los Angeles. Come on, baby. Just stay up here for me one more minute. I just had, I just had, a, I just had a flashback road to Damascus. Now, I told y'all in the first service this morning that I'm originally from Liberia, West Africa. So if you hear an accent come out, it's because I'm from Liberia. And I said this in the first service. It's like, hold up. How you going to be from Africa? His name Ray Harmon. Shouldn't his name be Akuna Matata or something like that? And, 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 uh, but I just had this flashback when he said, uh, uh, what you say, baby, about me being your king? I said, I honor you, my king. I honor you, my king. I just had a coming to America yeah. flashback. Come on, somebody. Yeah, so let's do it one more time. No, no. Come on, somebody. Prince Hakeem is in the house. And, and, and so I'm going to ask you. So what kind of things do you like? Whatever you like. There it is. Amen. All right. Show your love one more time for my Mocha princess. Glory to God. The scripture says that laughter doeth good like a medicine. Amen. And sometimes it's just good to get in the house of the Lord and get a good, good, good laugh in. Amen. Glory to God. My assignment is a simple one. And, uh, and I pray that what I share with you this afternoon will encourage you. If you weren't in the first service, I, I believe we do have that recorded. Is that, is yes. that right? It is recorded. I encourage you to get that because uh, the message this afternoon almost begins mid-sentence. In fact, when I was preparing uh, for this weekend, uh, this is where I thought I was going to start, in verse 8 of Exodus 17. But when I read verse 8, I just really felt that there was more to the story and more to the narrative. So I backed that thing up all the way to verse 1. And when I read verse 1, I realized that it was necessary for us to begin our conversation in verse 1 this morning, yeah. but we're going to pick up where we left off right. this morning. Yeah, yeah. Before I do that, let me just say that the name of this church is intrinsically prophetic. Because Damascus is synonymous with defining moments. Uh, our time here this afternoon is more than just about celebrating five years of God's faithfulness, even though that's important. But I believe for everyone under the sound of my voice this afternoon, this will be to you what the Damascus Road experience was to Saul, who later became Paul. I came to you this afternoon to announce that sometimes, Life's interruptions are actually divine interventions. Yes. Yeah. 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 That some of you are facing and grappling with 
But those interruptions, if we put them in their proper perspective, are actually divine interventions. Yeah, yeah. I'm praying today that uh, this afternoon will be a defining moment in your life that will shift and alter the very trajectory of your life. Amen. That in this service, because of the word of the Lord, that you will make some decisions. You will make some decisions in this moment that will bring you back to the preordained course and purpose for your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to hear that. I know sometimes it sounds cliche to say that you're not here on accident. But I want you to know that you are, in fact, not here on accident. Because of what God desires to say and because of what God desires to do in this moment in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll dive into his word together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, we commit this time to you. God, I pray that your word would go forth unhindered, unfettered, uninhibited. I thank you, Lord, that you will take these lips of clay and anoint them. Give your people a word in season from your lips to our heart. Lord, in this moment, open our eyes. That we might behold wondrous things from your word. Lord, I pray today for divine clarity. I just sense this by the Holy Ghost. Those who came in with questions. Those needing answers. Those needing guidance and direction. Lord, we trust you now in this moment to do it. To do it. I pray that each person in this place would have their very own personal Damascus road experience. Lord, if you need to knock us off a horse in order to get our attention, Lord, I ask that you would do it. Lord, if it takes a voice from heaven to stop us in our tracks, Lord, let this be the moment that we hear your voice with great clarity and accuracy. Ah, Father, I pray for these that you are passionately pursuing. I pray for your divine rescue. Snatch, snatch us back to the place and to the purpose to which you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, Rose of the Master's Church, I don't know who this is for, but since this afternoon when I got back to my hotel, there was just this sense of urgency There was just this sense of urgency about what God wants to speak and to say to his people this afternoon. One of life's greatest discoveries that I've made is simply this. Who I am and what I was created to accomplish is not for me to decide. It's for me to discover. Because God decided that a long time ago. Didn't he say in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I ordained you. To Jeremiah, he said, I called you to be a prophet to the nations. Even before one day came to be. Because God creates us. And he decides in advance. The life we are to live. It is God appointed. 
not self-assumed. The Lord is speaking to those of us who have said, it's my life. And I can do what I want to, how I want to, whenever I want to. And tonight, the Lord is, is reaching out, disrupting the ordinary affairs of your life. Because he's in passionate pursuit of you. Miles Monroe said it this way. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Because when you don't know the purpose for which a thing was created, you are bound to abuse it. The word abuse is two words. Compound word, abnormal use. And if I don't understand the purpose for which I was created, I'm bound to abnormally use my life, my relationships, my choices, my decisions, my reputation, my resources, everything about my life. Must find its context in understanding who God created me to be. Because it's God appointed, not self assumed. There is a sense of urgency tonight for this house. God is in passionate pursuit of you. And I think it'll all make sense by the time we get to the end of this message. You're ready for the word? As I mentioned earlier, we're going to pick up the narrative mid-sentence. We're already in Exodus chapter 1. This morning we exegeted the first seven verses. We're going to pick up this message in verse number 8. Verse number 8. And and, and I believe, again, that this is a word in season for Road to Damascus Church. Uh, This morning's message was simply titled, Hidden in Plain Sight. Uh, We learned what to do. We learned how to trust God even when we can't trace him. Uh, But we're going to pick up in verse 8. And and as we pick up in verse 8, we're going to learn something about... I think it's an often forgotten practice and principle, but it is the power, it is the power of unity. The power of unity. Uh, How many of you realize that some things are just better together? Some things are just better together. If you're going to get a burger, you got to have some, come on somebody, because some things are just better together. If you're going to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you realize that just some things are just better together. But even on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, there's a missing ingredient to make that sandwich what it's supposed to be. And that's the white bread. Come on, somebody. It's got to be just right. Soft. Fresh. Come on, some of y'all gonna leave this place and make you a peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter jelly sandwich. Some things are just better together. Come on, y'all, y'all, y'all help me out. We we go, we gonna go, we gonna go the music route forth. Some things are just better together. Y'all, y'all, y'all help me finish this right now. Ashford and better together. Come on, somebody. Peaches and come on, better together. Somebody says something else over here. Oh, peaches and cream. Okay, yeah, that, that'll work too. Come on, peaches and cream will work too. Better together. 
Lionel Richie and the Commodores. Better together. The truth is that there are some things in life that are just better together. I want to speak to you from that vantage point as we look at the text. Because as we examine the text, what we'll realize is that what God desires to do beyond these five years must not rest on Pastor Ron and Chantel's shoulders alone. Road to Damascus Church will be better together. Are y'all with me? Now just in case you were wondering, uh, this was one of the secret weapons of the early church. When you look at Acts chapter 2 beginning at verse 42, the scripture says that the disciples continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's easy to understand that if you're a Christ follower, you're going to prioritize the word of God. And one of the things I do know is that uh, Pastor Ron is not just a student of the word of God, but he has passed that tradition on to this church. So if you come to Road to Damascus Church, you're going to also be a student of God's word and you're going to prioritize his word. Just like the early church. That was part of the blueprint. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Uh, And then it goes next and it says, and pray. Man, if, if, if we're going to have a life-giving church, a church that has an imprint here in the community, we have to give ourselves not only to the word of God, but also to pray. Ah, but there's a third weapon that the early church had, and that word is fellowship. And that word fellowship is, is about more than just gathering around a meal. Even though that's important. The word fellowship goes much deeper than that because it is a Greek word, koinonia. And that Greek word, koinonia, means partnership. But it also means intimate association. You see, the early church was as effective as it was because they weren't only men and women of the word. They weren't only men and women of prayer, but they were men and women of intimate fellowship. And can I, can I tell you, can I tell you this? That what God has next for Road to Damascus Church is going to require koinonia. Because the truth is, we're better together. But what I'm asking you today is risky. Because intimate fellowship Koinonia means that I run the risk of allowing you to get close enough to me to see my flaws. That is risky. Yet it's the very thing that God invites us to do. That if we're going to grow from where we are to where God has called us to be, it can only happen up close and personal. How many of you realize that, 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 uh, uh, that, that, that birth begins with conception and conception is preceded by intimacy do you realize that there are things that God wants to birth in your life but it can only happen from a place of intimacy here's what I'm asking you to risk I'm asking you to risk trusting again because koinonia cannot happen from a distance But that's what we do. Uh, We compare everybody else's filtered and edited life to our behind the scenes. One of the sources 
of depression in our culture today is social media. Because I start to compare their filtered, edited life to my that is imperfect. The problem is those pictures that I look at and admire. Come on, somebody. Have you ever been on Facebook and you got that selfie? And they're looking all cute and stuff. And they posted that picture and didn't realize that the closet door was open behind them. You look cute up close. But we see all that junk in your closet. Be careful. No, I'm going somewhere with this. Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 8. We're better together. So the text picks up in verse number 8. And the text records these words. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. If you weren't here this morning, we talked extensively about Rephidim because Rephidim is that place in the middle where you find yourself somewhere between where you were and where you're supposed to be. It is that place where there's the same distance between where you were and where you hope you were. And in Rephidim is where we will encounter Amalekites. In fact, the word Rephidim means rest. Isn't that something? That it is often in the place of our rest that we encounter our greatest adversaries. And here they are in a place of rest. And their rest is disrupted by the Amalekites. But notice what the scripture says. It says, Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. And he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was. When Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, and the other on the other side. Somebody say better together. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. And I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the sun. And Moses built an altar and called its name. The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi. For he said because the Lord has sworn. That the Lord will have war with Amalek. From generation 
to generation. Listen, where God takes road to Damascus next is going to be a collective concerted effort. But notice, notice what happened. Notice what happened. First thing we got to do. This is not just true for road to Damascus, but even in our own lives personally. First thing that we have to rest in. The first thing that we have to be secure in is learning to stay in your lane. Notice that this story tells us not only about Moses, Aaron, and Hur, but it also tells us about Joshua and the Israelites. Each having their own position and each having their own role. In order for us to become all that God has created us to be, we must rest in the fact that we are created uniquely and that we are different and that we must embrace who God uniquely created us to be. Paul said it this way, the eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you because we are better together. And what the body of Christ has become is the body parts of Christ. You got an ear over here. You got a heart over here. You got toes over there, fingers over there. Everybody got their own ministry when God has called us to be the body of Christ and not the body parts of Christ. Everybody has their role and their role, your role, whatever it is, is unique to you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in. Are y'all with me? It goes back to what I said earlier. Who you are and what you are created to accomplish is not for you to decide, it's for you to discover because God decided that already. And if we're going to be better together, what we must first do is embrace the unique calling that God has placed on our lives individually. Mm -hmm. If I'm Moses, God has called me to stand on the mountaintop with my hands raised toward heaven in surrender and in humility. But that doesn't take away from what Joshua is doing in the valley. Because what Moses is doing on the mountaintop is meaningless without Joshua. And what Joshua is doing in the valley is powerless without what Moses is doing on the mountaintop. In fact, Moses, what God has called Moses to do is impotent without Aaron and her. Because the scripture says as long as Moses had his hands raised toward heaven, Israel prevailed. But how many of you realize that sometimes the burden of leadership is too much to bear alone. Every Moses needs an Aaron. Needs a her. Because what happens on the mountaintop determines the outcome in the valley. We're better together. And what ends up happening and what begins to circumvent and undermine and sabotage what God might want to do in our lives is the fact 
that we begin to compare what's, what God gave to Joshua yeah. to what God gave to me. Can I just put this in perspective for you? Nobody really uh, celebrates and nobody really appreciates that little pinky toe until it gets caught. And that pain starts to shoot from that little pinky toe. You know that little pinky toe that nobody thinks about? That little pinky toe that you take to the, 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 the nail salon? That ain't even got a nail on it, just got that nail nub. Y'all know, know what I'm talking about, lady? That lady be trying to paint that nail, but ain't nothing there, man. Just give you that little dab. Or that little pinky toe. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. That little nerd. Nobody really appreciates that toe until it gets caught. On that bedpost. Or the corner of the door. Y'all can feel that already. <laughs> Say this with me. Better together. Moses needs Aaron and her to complete his assignment. Joshua in the valley against the Amalekites needs Moses doing his part to succeed. Now, can I just say this? Can I just say this? It is possible to have two people on the same team who desire the same thing despise each other. Come on, y'all, y'all, y'all say this with me. If you think, if you think this is better together, y'all ready? Pastor Ray about to get petty. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? <laughs> just in your heart, just say if, if you think it's better together. Y'all, y'all, y'all ready for this? Kobe and Shaq. Better together? No, no, let me, let me tell you about how powerful this idea of unity is. You have two superstars on the same team, both with championship rings, who despise each other. You're winning together, yet you despise each other. Can I say that there are a whole lot of folk Living under the same roof, sleeping in the same bed, both got on championship rings. I'm gonna leave that alone. (laughs) Better together. And the problem is, we all want the same thing, but we want the credit for it. The whole beef between Kobe and Shaq, I was watching it from a distance in Dallas, Texas. The whole beef was about whose team is this? Does that really matter in the big scheme of things? If you're winning championships and we have created a culture even in the church where we have become competitive when God has called us to be collaborative because God understands that we are better together and and, and so so this whole idea of oh 
I, I gotta say this. I gotta say this. I gotta say this. There's, when you read 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is gonna mess your mind up because when I saw it, it blew my mind, bro. Anybody remember a little shepherd boy who was out tending the sheep in 1 Samuel chapter 16? God was about to shift some things in the nation of Israel. Come on, that was a divine interruption that David had no idea about. He had just been faithful in what God had called him to do. Tending his father's sheep and worshiping God. And so, 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 so Samuel shows up and he says, uh, uh, one of your sons, Jesse, is going to be the next king of Israel. And Jesse says, uh, oh yeah, surely it's my, first, my, my firstborn. Surely. Even the prophet got it wrong. Because when the firstborn showed up, he was handsome, good looking, he was tall. That's got to be the one. Let me tell you something. We all have our own internal shallow half. For the scripture says man looks at the outward appearance. That is an all-inclusive statement. He says the way we are wired as human beings is we look at the way things appear to be. But God looks much deeper beyond what we can see with the naked eye. He looks at the heart. And even Samuel got it wrong. Even David's daddy got it wrong. Didn't even invite his son to the party. Until Samuel insisted. There's got to be somebody else. It's oh, uh, afterthought. Surely it can't be the baby. Surely it can't be that teenager. If God's going to anoint the next king, surely it can't be David prancing around in the pasture. Notice what Samuel says. Ain't nobody in this house sitting down until David shows up. God anoints David. And notice what happened next. He went straight from Jesse's house into the palace and became king. It happened 14 years later. Let me tell you something. When you read the story, it says David went to Saul's house and served Saul and behaved wisely. Listen to me. How many of us have received the call of God, have even been anointed by God, and God sends you into the place to serve the person that you're going to replace? Most of us in the church, oh, I got my call. Pastor Ron, see you. I'm going to start my own thing. Yet God tests the integrity of David's heart and says, even though I have rejected Saul, I have replaced Saul, you are the successor you go and serve him. I'm talking about grown church stuff now. I'm going somewhere with this now. Most of us abort the purpose and the plan of God because we go after it prematurely. Before it's appointed time. Moses did the same thing. Can you be Aaron and her to Ron and Chantel? Even though you know in your heart that God has anointed you for something else. Can you just stay faithful to this house? Even though God's already given you visions that you're going to have a worldwide ministry. Are you faithful enough to say, look, 
right now in the season, all God is calling me to do is hold up their hands. David was anointed. Yet he went back and served Saul. Not only that, (laughs) not only that, let me mess with your theology. Let me mess with your theology. Because David is not only serving Saul, but on the day that David has his first encounter with Goliath. Anybody remember what David was doing? He was taking cheese and bread to his brothers. Hold up. I'm the next king of Israel, bro. Daddy, don't tell me to take nobody, no cheese and bread. Do you know who I am? Listen, David has his defining moment, a divine encounter, a divine interruption, taking cheese and bread to brothers who despised him. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. I'm going somewhere with this. David understood that we're better together. I'm the next king of Israel. But it takes absolutely nothing away from what God has called me and created me to do, serving someone else in this season. Even people who mistreat me, like my own family. I know who I am. I'm the next king of Israel. But I can still serve Saul. And I can still ch- take lunchables to my brothers. Are y'all hearing me? But there's another obstacle. There's another obstacle now. Can I? Uh, y'all remind me to come back to that obstacle. But, 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 but notice what the scripture says. God tests. He tests our faithfulness. And if we're going to be better together. Three tests, Jesus said. Number one, be faithful in the little things. Can you be faithful taking food to your brothers when you know there's something much greater on the inside of you? Can you be faithful to wash somebody else's feet? Jesus said, if we're faithful in the little things, he will make us ruler over much. Most of us pray, God, when my time going to come? Your time is going to come when you, when you choose to be faithful in little things. Remember I told you, a 21-day journey in the wilderness turned into 40 days? I mean 40 years? Because they wouldn't learn the lessons? And God says, you say you're waiting on me. I'm waiting on you, bruh. To learn the lesson of being faithful in little things. You ain't going to be king until you learn the lesson of faithfulness in the cheese and bread. Can you be faithful? Serving brothers who despise you. But you know you've been anointed king. Jesus said, be faithful. Here's the second thing Jesus said. He said, uh, be faithful. Listen to this. In unrighteous mammon. I ain't going to talk about money. But Jesus said, if I, can't, if I can't take care of my money, how will he make me ruler over true riches? That What Jesus was saying is, how I handle my resources is an indicator of whether I can handle true riches. The third thing he says is, y'all ready for this? 
He says, be faithful in that which belongs to another man. Listen to me now. He says, if we're not faithful in what belongs to another man, how will God give you what is your own? Yeah, yeah, we are. Lord, send my ministry. Open the doors. And God says, have you been faithful in what belongs to another man? Have you been faithful in putting a rock under Moses for him to sit on? Have you been faithful to hold up his hands? Because the test of whether or not you will have what is your own is how well you serve another man. These are the words in red. I ain't making this up. This is Jesus. But let me tell you the problem now. Big obstacle. I'm going somewhere. Because we have to understand this in order to get to where God is taking the road to Damascus. Big obstacle. The problem with Israel is that it's now a monarchy. That means there is a direct line of succession. God has chosen David to be the successor to Saul. But there's a problem. Because Saul got a son. Named Jonathan. God, how you going to work this out? Because in order for David to ascend to the throne, he got to go through Jonathan. Come on, somebody. Can, can, can I just read the text for you? Because we're better together. You and I have to recognize where we fit into God's grand scheme and God's grand plan. Even if it means that honoring the plan of God means that I am dislodged for what I believe is rightfully mine. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Listen, David cannot be king without going through Jonathan. So, so listen to this. Y'all with me? Uh, <laughs> this ain't in my notes, but I'm just going to go there. First Samuel chapter 18. Hey! And I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up here. First Samuel chapter 18. So David has already been anointed king. He's already... Can you imagine? You just killed Goliath. When the king that you served was cowering in fear, you rose up as the champion of the nation. And you're still sitting on the sidelines. Most of us would have insisted, now is my time. Especially when you start hearing all the ladies singing. (laughs) Saul has slain a thousand. But David, ooh girl, he fought. How many realize that we can let that stuff get to us? In the middle. When you're somewhere between where you were and where God has called you to be. When you're on the come up. And God says, not yet. Continue to serve the man that I have anointed you to replace. So here it is. I I, I, I promise you I'm going to wrap it up. Uh. In a moment, First uh, Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, notice this, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Somebody say better together. Ah, man. 
If we're going to be all that God has called and created us to be, we have to get back to this thing called love. Yeah. 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 At, at the foundation, at the foundation of unity, at the foundation of koinonia, is love. Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And it says, Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David, check this out, made a covenant. Ah, somebody say better together. They made a covenant. Now, now, let me tell you something about this cat named Jonathan. I don't know about you, but if I see some dude in my palace, Everybody like him? Everything he touched turned to gold? It might create some insecurity in me. But there is never any indication at any time in the text that Jonathan was insecure around David. In fact, Jonathan initiated the covenant with David. Can, can, I, can I just say something? Yes. Is trust, let me ask you, is trust something that must be earned or is it something that's given? Well, well. Just marinate on that. Mm-hmm. For those of us who say, oh, you got to earn my trust. Oh, they're going to earn my trust. They're going to earn my trust. At this point, has David done one single thing to earn Jonathan's trust? Mm-hmm. In fact, at this point, David is supposed to be a threat. To Jonathan. Because Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. And here this young man prancing around my daddy's house. Talking about he the next king. And instead of being insecure around David. He enters into covenant because he understands his place in God's divine plan. It means that sometimes I have to step aside. To allow God's purpose to be fulfilled. That even though there is a line of succession that falls to me, God's plan cannot be accomplished unless I fade to black. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying? How many of us fight and contend for our place when God says, that ain't your place? From this day forward, David's going to be king. And you will be second only to David. And Jonathan never pushes back. In fact, Jonathan does everything to make David successful. Let me just say this to you. Uh, This is my first closing. My first first closing. Yeah, I got at least three more. (laughs) Notice what Jonathan does. He enters into covenant. This is what Jonathan does. What's your name, man? Tony. Tony. I heard what you were doing, man. Ah. I heard what you were Thank doing, Jesus. Uh, I dabble. I do a little something. Y'all want me to do a little something? Do a little something. Yeah. <laughs> hey, point number one, stay in your lane. Yeah. I will let you do your, what you do. Yeah. I will stay right here. Yeah. <laughs> notice, notice what Jonathan does. First thing the scripture says is Jonathan took his sword. And he gives it to David. Come on, somebody. You know what? You know what Jonathan was saying? Jonathan was saying. He comes to this recognition. 
that in God's divine plan, I've got to step to the side. But David, just so you know, that this covenant that we're entering into is based on trust. I will take my sword and surrender it to you. You know what Jonathan was saying? He was saying, David, I am powerless to harm you. Most of us got friendships where we keep our sword right here. And if you mess with me, (laughs) I am going to poke you. Just in case. Don't get it twisted. I got my sword. That's the way most of us do friendships. That's the way most of us do relationships. That's the way most of us do church. Listen to what Jonathan did. If I had anything to use against you, here it is. So that if I ever second guess this whole succession thing, and I decide that I want to take you out, here's my sword. I'm powerless to harm you. He didn't even stop there, Tony. Because if if, if I'm Jonathan, I'm going to give you my sword, but I'm going to keep my armor. Just in case you decide that you're going to use this sword that I gave you to take me out. Read the text. He doesn't only give him his sword. He gives him his armor. His sword says, I am powerless to harm you. His armor, by surrendering his armor to David, he says, I am defenseless against you. So David, take your best shot. If at any moment you're concerned about what I'm going to come get you, number one, you got my sword. Number two, you got my armor. I'm defenseless against you. Houdini was right. When they said, friends, <laughs> there it is. Because this is the basis of true friendship. That I can surrender my sword and surrender my armor and take the back seat so that God's purpose can be fulfilled. We're better together. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I went way off course from my message. In fact, everything I said up until now was just an introduction. Let me give you my full points. But no, 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 just let me. I already gave y'all my first closing, right? This is, this is closing number two. If we're going to be better together. I'm asking you to risk some stuff now. I'm asking you to risk some stuff. I'm asking you to trust again. I'm asking you to believe again. I'm asking you to take off your armor. I'm asking you to surrender your weapon. That's what we're asking you to do. Because it can only happen from a place of intimacy. That's what koinonia is. Close association. May I go let you get close enough to me to see my scars. I'm going to let you get close enough to me to see that I am imperfect. In fact, I'm going to let you get close enough to me to see that I'm human. That's where Cornelia begins. So if I'm going to do that, y'all ready? Look, the the stuff I'm sharing with you, the principles are transferable. You can take it and plop it down anyway, not just for, for church. Principle number one. Guard your heart. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4 and 23. He said, guard your heart. For 
out of your heart. Out of your heart flow all the issues of life. Most of us think that our struggles are external. But the struggles we have in life and the struggles we have with people originate and emanate from our heart. So, so this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, guard your heart. Robert Frost said it this way. He said, uh, in fact, the word picture in Proverbs is, is to, to build a garrison or to build a fort. The problem with what most of us do is before we build walls without considering what we're keeping in and what we're keeping out. And what we end up doing is keeping in the bad stuff and keeping out the good stuff. And we build walls. Hey, we build walls. And what God has called us and created us to do as Christ followers is to have thick skin but a tender heart. What most of us have is a calloused heart and thin skin. So anything somebody says to me goes through my skin, bam, and it lodges in my heart. And then I build a wall around it. And I nurse the, the, the pain. And I nurse the, the anger. And I nurse the bitterness. And it only grows. If we're going to have close association, guard your heart. Are y'all with me? Ah, I want to say something, but I can't go there. We'll be here until seven. Number two. Guard against. Y'all ready for this? Guard against. Oh man, this is tough. Guard against bitterness and offense. Notice what the scripture says in Proverbs 18:19. It says, A brother or sister offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. You know what that word offense means? It's a word scandalon. Scandalon. And I promise you. I'm going to wrap this thing up. It's a word, scandalon. Scandalon in the Greek, it's, it's the hook to which the bait was attached. So when hunters would, 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 would plant a trap, they would put the bait on the scandalon. And then the, the animal will bite on the bait, but it would get hooked by the scandalon. You know what the scriptures say? That's what the enemy does. If he wants to get me, he's going to dangle the bait on a fence. And once I take it, I'm hooked. The scripture says a brother who is offended is harder to win back than the bars of a castle. Guard against it. Guard against the fence. Guard against bitterness. Guard against the root of bitterness. Bitterness is just unresolved anger. And if you're the kind of person who's just living on low simmer, I got a couple in my house, uh, my house, in my church. They got a code word. They got a code word. You know what the code word is? When they need to stop and talk. I'm talking about grown folk now. Because some of us live on simmer in your house. Y'all know what I'm talking about. In your house, you on low simmer. And anything can set you off. So this couple, this couple in our church. When they realize that, that things ain't what they're supposed to be, they got their code word. It means that, okay, we got to go talk. You know what their, their code word is? I encourage you to leave it. Yeah. I, I, I encourage you to use it. I'm going to leave it with you. That's what I meant to say. I'm going to leave this with you. Uh, uh, their code word 
eggshells. The children in the house, they just look at each other and just say eggshells. And they go to the, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm walking on eggshells around you. Mm -hmm. Are y'all with me? And some people choose to live their lives on low simmer. If we're going to be the kind of church, road to Damascus, where everybody's doing their part, we got to guard our heart, and we got to guard against bitterness and offense. My wife and I call it the ex-boyfriend syndrome. You make the new boyfriend pay for what this last joker did. Y'all laughing like y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on, somebody. This dude standing there, man, I'm doing all the right things, and you mad at me for what somebody else did, and I ain't got nothing to do with it. Because bitterness follows us wherever we go. You can move to another state. You can go to a different church. But wherever you go, there you are. I'm about to wrap it up. I, I promise you. I, 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 Ooh, y'all ready for this one? If we're going to be better together, if we're going to be better together, even in Liberia, we have, we have this proverb. And, and the proverb is simply this. When two elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. Yeah. Yeah. When mommy and daddy are at odds, The grass suffers. When the church is at odds, the people suffer. And the Lord sent me to simply say, we're better together. What good is a PBJ? Come on, y'all know where I'm going with that. And most of us say, I'm going to have my PBJ without the jelly. Because I ain't going to ask you for no jelly. So I'm just going to have this peanut butter sandwich. That's what most of us do. I, I, I promise you, I'm, I'm wrapping up, Tony. In about five minutes, just start playing that Grammy Award music when they're trying to get the people off stage. About five minutes. You can play me off stage, Tony. Okay. Y'all ready for this one? We said guard your heart. We said guard against the fence. Here it is. Here it is. Guard against friendly fire. Listen to this, man. I was in the army. Four years, served with Fort Campbell, 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault. Who was? Any soldiers? Who What's up, dog? Okay. 101st Airborne. One of the first things they teach us, man, is how to avoid friendly fire. Yes, sir. Friendly fire is simply when you shoot at somebody who is a friendly, yeah. somebody who's on your side. Yes, Can I just say this? The church has the distinction of being the only army that kills its wounded. That's our MO. You wounded? Oh yeah, I'm going to take you out your misery. Notice what the scripture says. Notice what the scripture says. I'm reading from Galatians chapter 5 from the Amplified Version. He says, for the whole law concerning human relationships 
That means our human interactions, the whole law is fulfilled in one precept. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, listen to what it says in the Amplified, that is, you shall have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit. Listen to this. When was the last time you made a decision where you were not the primary reason for the decision you made? That's what it looks like to be better together. But notice what he says. He says, he says, but if you bite and devour one another in bickering and strife, watch out that your entire fellowship are not consumed by one another. Avoid friendly fire. And my fourth and final point. Come on, cue the music, Tony. Y'all ready for this? If we're going to be better together. If we're going to walk in koinonia. Fourth and final point. Don't hurt. Man, you stole my food. Yeah, I was about to deliver and I heard that. Is Jaws coming? There it is. There it is right there. Come on, somebody. If we're going to be better together, if we're going to win the battles in the valley against Amalek, if Joshua's going to prevail, and if I'm going to do my part, here it is. Don't hurt the help. There are people that God sent to help you. But what they have to say to you hurt you. But can I help you tonight Road to Damascus Church? Ah. Not everything that is hurtful is harmful. In fact, I would venture to say that there are things in life that we experience that hurt deeply but ultimately help us the most I'm talking about when you go to your chiropractor and he's adjusting you and twisting you and contorting you and you come out that room and you soar for about a day or two but ultimately your body is back in alignment because not everything that hurts is intended to be harmful and there are people that you have written off because what they had to say to you hurt but God sent them to help and the truth is the truth is the truth hurts when somebody telling you your stuff stank we don't want to hear that we don't want to hear that but what we end up doing, y'all, is we end up hurting the help. We end up biting back and lashing out at the help that God sends. Not everything that hurts is harmful. It's the reason why a surgeon takes a scalpel and cuts you open. Because if he doesn't cut you open, he can't get to the cancer 
that's eating away at you. And you come out of that OR and it hurts. But the hurting was sent to help. And God told me plain and simple that road to Damascus is called to be an Exodus 17 church. Hold up the man of God's hands. Hold up your first lady's hands. But in order to do it, you have to risk getting close again with your imperfections in mind. We have a statement at our church. In fact, on our invite cards, it says, no perfect people allowed. Come on, somebody. Because if you, look, let me tell you something. If you found the perfect church, it would stop being perfect the moment you showed up. With your imperfect self. God wants to meet us right where we are with our flaws, our idiosyncrasies and all. And he simply says, make room. Make room for one another's faults. That's Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Make room. Know that people are imperfect. But the love of God covers a multitude of sins. Can I just close with this? Final thing I'm going to say. Don't hurt the help. Don't hurt the help. I want, you to, I want you to consider I want you to consider maybe the things that were most hurtful to you with a new lens. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said take the log out your own eye. Yeah. Yeah. Before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah. Yeah. You know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying most of the struggles that we have with people is the result of impaired vision. The reason you think your brother's got a speck in his eye is because you got a big log sticking out your own. And maybe if you dealt with the log in your own eye, you would realize there wasn't a speck in their eye to begin with. And what Jesus was saying is that eye surgery is too delicate to perform on somebody else. When you got a big log sticking out your own eye. Well, what am I saying? Sometimes the things that hurt us the most are the people who say, bruh, you got a log sticking out your eye, man. You're trying to fix everybody else, but um, man, I don't know if you know this, but it's called a blind spot. Anybody who's driven for any amount of time, you know that sometimes you kind of start to veer off and change lanes and you have no idea The things that hurt you the most could have been somebody saying, deal with the log. And what you will find is there's not a speck in everybody's eye. And the way I see life, the way I see life will change if I just deal with me. Not try to fix everybody else, but just deal with my log. It will cause the speck in other people to go away. So don't hurt the help. Don't hurt the people that are saying, uh, hey girl, you got a little lipstick on your teeth. You got some spinach in there. Spiritually. 
don't hurt the hill. Because not everything that hurts is harmful. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that the healing would begin right now. Ah, that the healing would begin right now. Father calls us to trust again. Can I be Jonathan to David again? Can I lay down my sword and take off my armor in order for the purpose of God to be fulfilled at road to Damascus yeah, church? God, can I be secure in what you've called me to do? It may not be to raise up my hands. It may not be to fight in the valley. It may simply be to hold up Moses' hands. But that's my part. Would you help us to see that we are better together? together? Yes, yes. Father, let this be a defining moment for your people. God, sometimes it's not somebody falling over in an altar call, but sometimes it's your still small voice. It's your still small voice right where we are saying, you know what? I'm going to deal with the log in my own eye. Yes. Maybe that's what this defining moment is. Because on the road to Damascus, you forced Paul to deal with the log in his eye. He thought he was doing the will of God. But in that one moment with you, that defining moment with you, you opened his eyes to see that he was actually an enemy of God. So Lord, would you do that? Maybe it's not in the spectacular, maybe it's not in the sensational, but it still is supernatural that God, you would open our eyes as you did Paul on the road to Damascus and help us to see that we are better together. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.